I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Steve Sutherland, and I'd like to welcome you to the second of a special three-part interview with Keith Peacock, Charlton's legendary player and former assistant manager. Um, It's organized by the Charlton Athletic Community Trust in association with our great friends at Charlton Live. Uh, like Keith, we're proud to be ambassadors of CACT, which is working extremely hard running the community hub on behalf of the Royal Borough of Greenwich. Now, that's supporting vulnerable local residents at this important time. CACT staff are, are delivering food parcels, they're collecting prescriptions and providing other invaluable support. Other important CAC projects haven't been uh, stopped, they've been adapted, such as the Football and Sports Development Programme and the Extra Time Hub for Older People, to ensure that CAP continues to support the community in the way that it has done for many years. Now, in part one of the interview with Keith, we chatted about Keith's career, his early days at Charlton, his playing career, obviously, throughout the 60s and the 70s at the Valley. And when we left it, Keith was about to leave Charlton Athletic for a new adventure in the USA. So, hi Keith, how are you? You ready? Hi Steve, yes, ready and willing. Right. So let's uh, let's pick that up again from that point there, Keith. And uh, here you are at Charlton Athletic. It's been a uh, almost 20-year period playing for the Addicts and uh, it was coming to an end and you sort of knew it would. Uh, be a new adventure going to happen for you in America um, but how did that end actually just happen and um, why was it that you chose a career in America ahead of perhaps going off and playing for another football club or or even starting a managerial career in in the UK probably first of the year the final day um, I had agreed with Andy Nelson he felt my time was coming to an end at, uh, at Charlton, um, yep. but nothing was mentioned at all. And he, we had a, a, a written agreement um, that although I had a year left on my contract, so it was all in order. It was done. Um, the final day, we were playing, and we were playing against Oldham um, at the Valley, and we have to win to stay up. I'm not playing. I'm flying off the next morning to Ohio. Um, so it was a very sad moment for me as I looked around the stadium that day knowing, right, this for 17 years I've been there as a pro, two years as a, an amateur schoolboy, and it was all coming to an end. We won 2-0, so we escaped relegation. And when I look back, well, we escaped relegation on the last day of the season and the first season I had for Charlton, we had to do the same thing at Walsall. Yes, so I, years. Of not making any difference to anyone. Yeah, but, um, I'm sure that I don't think that's very <laughs> true, but I see what you're saying. Yeah, uh, it must but, have been a blow not to play in that last game, though. To actually say, right, I'm leaving now, but I'm not on the pitch. Yeah, I played the 
the the game the last game was at home to West Ham was against Billy Bonds. Uh, then they went away to Sheffield United. This one, I had a shoulder injury um, and didn't. Uh, I wasn't really fit enough to play, so it worked out okay. Charlton stayed up, um, and uh, the only thing that happened when I arrived at the stadium, uh, a lot of supporters were giving out these discs, and I got one. And it was saying Nelson out, Peacock in. Yeah, no, I remember that yeah. um, when we spoke earlier. I remember that, and uh, because Andy Nelson was having a bit of a bad time, and he 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 labelled Cholton fans village idiots, hadn't he? Which was he, perhaps a very good career move for him. No, no, he, it was uh, an unfortunate thing to say. I think it was on television when he said it, and. Uh, just referring to a small group of fans, but of course mm. they took it to heart and things were never really going to be the same for him after that, you know. No. Um, no. So, but I knew as I was, was given one of these silver discs, um, no, it was going to be Peacock out, <laughs> um, not, not being manager of the club, um, but uh, actually moving to America. Something I'd wanted to do at the end of my career anyway, Um and this became going to Columbus, Ohio. It wasn't the league I was hoping to play in the NASL. Um, it's the one below the... It was the one below. Yeah. Although it was, the, in actual fact, the ASL was the longest, the oldest league in American football. So, I, the next, uh, very next day, the 6th of May it was, um, off I went for a new adventure and the, the kids were looking forward to it, Gavin and Lauren and Leslie. It was a four... four month period they didn't have to go to school with their children um obviously we had to take a certain amount of uh, books out there to help them along the way yeah. it was a, a wonderful experience and um we got uh, out there a whole new way of looking at football and what was involved in out in america exciting um the games were good it was the, the standard was probably about the same as the old third division which is now Division Two. Division Two, and that's yeah. uh, that's at Columbus Magic, which is in Ohio, Keith, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, the Midwest, as they called it, a, a beautiful area, um, but uh, a, a wonderful state university, etc. And uh, I linked up with Paul Taylor, a young manager out there, and I became his assistant player, assistant. And um, it was, you know, zipping through that era, that period, actually, the four months. A uh, lot of a good, exciting games. Getting used to the the, the shootout at the end, you know, the sudden yeah. death finish. And um, the American football at that time, uh, well, soccer as they called it, introduced uh, introduced some key developments like the shootout, which I know you're a fan of, Keith, aren't you? Yeah, very, very big fan. And that was more when I went to uh, Tampa Bay. Yeah. This one, we didn't have the shootout, but we had the um, actual penalty seal with the ASL and then had the um, the sudden death. Uh, the sudden death came before that. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the, sudden, the sudden death, the golden goal, which, um, you know, corresponded with my, my career a little bit in terms of we introduced the golden goal when I was at the Football League into the auto windscreen shield. And that was in the 90s. And that was in the 90s, in yeah. 79. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So it took a while to adopt it, but it, it mm. didn't stay long, um, although no. I think it, it, it got a wider adoption in Europe, um, mm. the Golden Gold. But anyway, OK, so you're at Columbus 
magic. But you you intimated this a little bit earlier today that that the move you wanted to go to was the league above. Yes, and strangely enough, we we in Columbus, we had a good season. I was playing in that role, getting to know more and more about the coaching side of things, but being one of the players at the same time. But I was more like the assistant manager. That yeah. was more my job, the coach. Um, we got to the final, which meant Leslie and the children had to go back a week earlier to get them all back, the kids back into school. I remained out there for the final, and um, we, we lost that final. The night before that final, I had a phone call from Gordon Jago, who said, Keith, I want you to come and see me. I want you as my assistant manager. Now, you would have known Gordon from your time at Charlton, of course, Gordon Jago being an ex-Charlton player. Yes, I played, um, again, uh, played with him just a few games as... Uh, a schoolboy, I was just 16, I played with him a few times and he was coming to the end of his career and went into management uh, at Eastbourne and then on to QPR and Millwall um, and of course then to America. So we did know each other in that respect. But my wife, my wife when she went back from Columbus um, early, she said, you will come back. It's such a lovely place. You're not going to end up in California or Florida. (laughs) I I had to make the call saying, uh, I'm afraid you were right. I'm actually staying out here a bit longer. I'm going to Florida. (laughs) It was only for a one night only. Um, But it was uh, was an exciting time. Even that that period, a very exciting time. Um, Went to the palm trees that surrounded Tampa, flew down. Magnificent situation there, 65,000 arena where the Buccaneers played, uh, but Tampa Bay Rowdies were the team in the town. And they were extremely, I mean, they were becoming famous outside of America. They were they were quite well known um, across the world, weren't they, Tampa Bay Rowdies? Yes, yes, indeed. Um, players from all over Europe, South America came to play for them. Usually the players were uh, like some internationals. Uh, obviously, we had have a certain amount of Americans in the team. Uh, people like Frank Worthington came along there. But hmm. first of all, we, I went back to England. I didn't give Gordon an immediate reply. I said I need to talk to Leslie because she knows yeah. nothing about it, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, came back to England and I, had, I said I'd give him his, uh, the reply in two weeks. I was offered a, a George Petchy at Millwall wanted to speak to me. I spoke to him out of courtesy, but my heart wasn't going to be at Millwall. Um, and I don't think I, any of the Charlton fans would have ever spoken to him. Quite <laughs> possibly not. No. After a lovely man, George, and I knew he always fancied me as a player. Yeah. Um, I'm now 34. I've probably got another year or so in my locker, yeah. but we decided, no, we'll take this dramatic uh, change and accept a two-year contract in Tampa. And right, so so, uh, so you've now moved away from um, Ohio, um, you've, you've turned down Millwall, <laughs> and, uh, and your, your next adventure is at Tampa, and of course, uh, there was an extra member of your family that they hadn't made arrangements for. Indeed. Well, the 
first of all, before going off, we went on, um, left on November the 5th, I think it was. So I had a, we, we only had about five, six weeks to get everything together because uh, now we're going out there, not permanently. It was a two-year contract and it always would be from my point of view. Uh, but assistant manager there at such a big club was a good stepping stone. Um, but then, uh, having to say goodbye to my family, we all lived near each other, my sister, my mum and dad in particular, because looking back, they were uh, probably mid-60s, um, and they yeah. looked, I knew they were looking as we were hugging each other, and I know many people must have been through this type of thing in different ways, especially in this day and age where, you know, people's daughters, sons, uh, whatever, go to Australia, to Canada, to mm. America itself, Spain. Um, and the feeling on that was so emotional. It was, um, it was almost, it was heartbreaking. And particularly when I look back and I think um, Gavin was to actually do a similar thing, although he stayed uh, and lived there. My parents must have thought at the time, will they come back? Yeah, and of course, there's no, there was no such thing as FaceTime or, or Zoom in, the, no. in those days. No, um, that's right. So but they did have a thing where they, 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 my parents didn't get over, but my wife's parents came across for two or three months at a time um, on a couple of occasions. And so they had some very nice long holidays and, uh, and that helped to break the ice later on. Now, your first home, uh, in, in if, that, if I can call it that, in, yeah. uh, in Tampa, was the Bay Harbour Inn. Yes, the Bay Harbour Inn. That was a place where anyone coming from Europe would stay in a very lovely hotel surrounded by the, the beach um, and uh, the palm trees, beautiful there. We arrived, uh, as you previously mentioned, one thing that I'd said that I would be bringing my dog over now because we were going there for two years. Um, uh, Gordon, I thought, thought it was probably a lap dog, but it was a boxer. Um, and we've run the hotel and, well, everyone's quite happy. They want to make me feel at home. We're, obviously, we're a bit jet-lagged. Um, and uh, the managers came across, the hotel manager, and said, look, we don't have any dogs in the hotel. Um, so... Look, if he barks in any way, he's out. Or rather she, it's a she. Um, anyway, we got into the lift first of all. We got into the lift. Um, and then, just as the doors were about to close, so that's uh, the, uh, Gavin, Lauren, Leslie, myself, and the dog was hidden away a little bit. In came the New York Giants. The American football. Yes. But four of them... They're not little fellas, Keith. They're not little fellas. And, you know, I'm not the biggest, but they were big, man. And they stood there. They came in. The doors closed. Then the dog's head popped round the corner <laughs> from my legs. And they they turned into mice. Oh, no. It's a pit bull. It's a pit bull. <laughs> it was hysterical. I had to calm them down. I couldn't reach their heads, but I was trying to calm them down. But uh, anyway, long story short, after that, quite an unusual incident. Um, we stayed in the hotel for a month, then bought a house. We went to a swimming pool, settled in. Um, took a while for my wife, and uh, particularly Gavin and my wife. My daughter, Lauren, settled in very quickly. But mm -hmm. say they were missing home over the Christmas period, a lot of tears. I had to call a board meeting 
after about seven weeks and say, look, you're crying all the time at the moment, but I assure you I'm staying for two years and you would be crying because you have to leave. And it, it turned out like that. They settled in. Brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. But again, you know, it's it's all part of a, of, of a footballer's life, moving moving clubs, um, and in your case, um, actually moving countries. So um, I think uh, it just shows that it, it isn't just about a footballer turning up and putting his boots on and playing somewhere else uh, and, and as if nothing had happened. Um, there are a lot of factors that come into play there. But I want to talk about, I mean, it was like the Harlem Globetrotters in those days, that top league in America, wasn't it? It, it was. I mean, it was absolutely amazing, really. And remember, all those years at Charlton, um, obviously I played, as mentioned before, against some wonderful players. But here, we, in this league that I was now not playing, but assistant manager, uh, pitting uh, wits against some top players, we, I came across some great players. For New York Cosmos, they had Naiskins on, you know, Naiskins playing, yeah. Beckenbauer. Carlos Alberto, who carried above his head, one of the great players of all time. There was Georgie Bess. We have a few stories on George, played for San Jose. The great Gerd Muller, one of the greatest goal scorers of time, playing for Fort Lauderdale. They were there, they were our local derbies, they were 400 miles away, (laughs) our local derby. Um, And Kubilas, who who was one of the top Peruvian players. And probably the most striking, there's a funny story on this player, Johan Cruyff. Mm -hmm. I had just arrived, we'd we'd won the the indoor championship, which was good. Now we're going into the the main uh, events, but it's pre-season. And a lot of teams came from up north, like Washington, Detroit, Chicago, to the warm weather of Florida. They had their pre-season friendlies, because it's snow up where they were. And so I went along, for, we had Washington to play in one of the early games. I went along to do a scouting report and it was on a, like a university field with um, bleachers. And I'm looking down and Johan Kreis is playing. I'm just you know, watching him move and he looks great. So but playing, with, playing, with, oh, playing within himself. But this player playing for the other side, they were called Tulsa Roughnecks. Very <laughs> Very aptly named because I was watching this play and I thought, I'm, I know him. I know that that man who's trying to, he's kicking Cruyff up in the air, trying to. <laughs> it was shocking what he was trying to do. So much so that uh, Cruyff came off and um, the other fella came off and I went down the bleachers there and called, it was Dugdale. Alan Dugdale. Dugdale, we played for Charlton just a season before. Yeah. And so it's um, an old Charlton player who did. He was one of the most aggressive players I've ever played with. And Johan Cruyff must have wondered what the hell he was doing out there against him. I remember, I remember Alan Dugdale. We signed him from commentary. And yes. uh, he could head a ball as far as I could cook, kick it, I think. Absolutely. Powerful, powerful man. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I remember that. Um, well, of course, the great Pele was there as well, wasn't he? Pele was just leaving. Uh, Gavin met him um, before he left, and I was so jealous of Gavin. Yeah. Because Pele was my hero, you know. I think um, Pele was everyone's hero. And from, Pele, was, yeah. Pele was a special man. But I did get a chance to actually meet him 
face to face many years later, but uh, that would come later on. Yes. But that, that, yes. those names were, you know, for all the beers that was out there, playing for Vancouver. Mm -hmm. uh, so every time you played against anyone, you had some real tactical decisions to make. Do you man mark certain players? I mean, Johan Cruyff, when we did play Washington, he was the fastest thing. He was like a greyhound. And what he could do, he could sprint 20 yards and stop almost dead. Mm. But people take those, a few a number of steps to slow down. And he could stop dead and people would just fly past him and miss him altogether. Yeah, absolutely. He smoked about 40 cigarettes a day. But, uh, <laughs> it didn't weigh him, slow him down. No, no, no. And you bumped into uh, someone we mentioned in the last interview, uh, the great Stanley Matthews. Yes, we were playing into uh, Montreal, I think it was, actually, because um, now Eddie Fermani was manager of Montreal. But Gordon and I were in our, the hotel the night before a game, and who should be there? Uh, the great Stanley Matthews, looking as immaculate as ever. He, he never put on a pound throughout his uh, whole life, I don't think. No. But this, this is sort of 17 years after I'd first played against him, you know. Um, and so he must have been into his mid-60s, I think, um, and doing promotion work out there and taking yeah. out tanks, etc. Um, so, yeah. He became almost a world ambassador for football, didn't he, really? He did. He did. He was known throughout the world. And, and taking football to impoverished parts of the world like Africa and... Um, Yes, uh, and just spreading the gospel of football, really, wasn't it? Absolutely, and and he was knighted, wasn't he, sir? Yeah. Yes, but then on the playing side of things, um, Rodney Marsh had left the year before at Tampa, and so I now had to kind of build the way of being assistant manager. Gordon hadn't had one before. Mm -hmm. um, and that these players were all ex-internationals, B-internationals, who were uh, Yugoslavian, Dutch, Hawaiian, not Hawaiian, but one from, from Cuba, mm -hmm. um, one from uh, yeah, it was a, Chile. It was a complete oh. league of nations in those yeah. days, the American leagues, weren't they? Absolutely. But we had Johnny Gorman, who was English. Yeah. <laughs> and a couple of South Africans, Wegley and Mike Connell and Neil Roberts. Um, John Gorman was, was, he was Scottish, wasn't he, Keith? Scottish, he played for Tottenham at, uh, Carlisle first, he made his name and then he played uh, for Tottenham Tottenham, then, yeah? Yeah, then came out uh, he'd had a bad knee injury but he came out, he's still a very, very good player and um, we, we became great friends as that, the period of time went on but it was different playing, playing out there, it was really it was exciting. It was good from the tactical point of view because you were playing with the 35-yard line where you couldn't be offside. Of course, the game in England yeah. got very, very tight with teams pushing up to the halfway line. So, you know, offsides kept happening all the time. This way, it spread it out, giving the midfielders a bit more like in the old, you know, the 50s and that, where they had more space in which to play. Um, and... Those players like the Georgie Best and the Beckham Bowers could, could well, they really fantastic. flourished in that environment. They, they flourished, yeah. But the Americans really, really can't can't get the concept of a tie, can they? No, they can't get a draw. So they had to go for a win in any way they could. And 
Yes, the, the tie, they wouldn't, they said it's like kissing your sister, you know, it's not the real thing. <laughs> you, you just must have a finality to the game. And um, it took a bit of getting used to it. First of all, it went into that, uh, so you're drawing at the end of the game. It's uh, the golden goal if you score in extra time. If you don't, it's a shootout from the 35-yard line. You have five seconds to score, right, or for it to from the time you touch it to the time you shoot. Yeah. Um, and this was it's so much better, so much better than having penalties because there's probably about a system. Look, the, the, out, the outfield player that's coming through, the shooter, has a bit more chance of scoring one-on-one. But there's a good chance out of six penalties, say, or five penalties, you know, two or three will be saved by the goalkeeper. Uh, not penalties, but the uh, shootout. Yeah, it, exciting. It, it, is a, it is an exciting concept. It's not, it's not really been taken up anywhere else, has it? No. no it, you know, it, we're, it, still, we're still in the penalty situation. Um, but, uh, OK, so uh, your, your, your American career, um, you've been uh, there a few years now, um, and you were now really on the pathway to management. You're assistant manager to Gordon, but I know that you wanted to get back and um, get back to the UK and start managerial career back home again. Mm. Yeah, I did have um, after about six months. So two things happened after six months. The family were all settled in. I was in Houston. We were playing away at Houston, and I got a phone call, um, and it was from uh, Mr. Glixie. Michael Gritson, chairman of Cholton. Chairman of Cholton. He wanted me to come back and um, become assistant with Mike Bailey, who was taking over. Andy Nelson was becoming general manager. But uh, the conversation wasn't right. You know, he just took it almost for granted. Well, you're coming back. You'll you're come back. <laughs> Always been the chairman. We were on different levels then as chairman and player. Um, he, he owned the club and... Um, I said, no, I am in the middle of a two-year contract, you know, um, and I, sh- I should really stick by that as much as, yes, my desire to come to Charlton. Anyway, long story short, on that, um, I said that uh, this wasn't the time, uh, which he was a bit flabbergasted. <laughs> um, I'm, sure, I'm sure he wasn't turned down that often. He wasn't. <laughs> no, no, he, he was so used to... Uh, our, our talks before would be if I could try and get a five pound rise in my salary <laughs> um, I'd have done well um, but no so I had to turn that down and um, and uh, I stayed uh, for another season and that, then my contract came was coming to an end and that, this is where someone called uh, Ted Buxton came, came into uh, play isn't it because uh, he, he informed you of a position that might be becoming available at Gillingham. Yes, he knew my contract was coming to the end. Gordon was looking to retire. That was his aim. We were having a so-so average season for Tampa. Tampa had to be in the top two. New York, Cosmos and uh, Tampa Bay were the two big teams out there. Our average gate at Tampa, you can imagine this, was over 30,000. Yeah. yeah, incredible. Uh, our top gate would be when New York came to town or Fort, Fort Lauderdale. Top New York, 65,000 we'd get in there. It would be packed. Um, tremendous atmosphere. 
So th- this was back on a big stage. The football was on a big stage. Yeah. Um, but so we were having an average season, and um, my contract was come to an end. And I thought, oh, Ted Butson said, phone the chairman. Phone the chairman. I'd never asked for a job before in my life up to this stage. I've been, you know, in football, you get just asked if you want to come here. So uh, it took me a few days to think about it. I thought, oh, I'll phone. I phoned the chairman, who is Dr. Grossmark, a real gentleman, one of the top gentlemen who worked for the FA for many years. Um, and he answered the phone and uh, started speaking uh, very slowly. And, and I just said, you know, I, I phoned about the job and he kind of said, oh, how is it? Is it tea time out there in America? And <laughs> things like that. I could hear um, the television in the background and the, the clicking of the a cricket ball. He was watching the cricket test match or something. And I'm sure he's more interested in that. It seems to me. It was so casual. Uh, we had a conversation. Nothing really was said. Oh, thank you. He just said, oh, thank you for calling. <laughs> so I'd called to have a, a, a couple and of... And of course, you, you've never been in a position where you've had to go, go for a job, apply for a job. Before. No, this is what, what happens in football. So many people, they're used to interviews and going for a job, applying for jobs. In football, you're given contracts, offered contracts, or you go somewhere else, but it's because they want you. you know? yeah. So it's, all, it's a, a, a gimme. But this was different. But um, in actual fact, about a week later, I got a call from the uh, secretary, Richard Dennison, said, could you come over? The chairman would like to speak to you. I jumped on the plane fairly quickly, I think within a day or so, got across, uh, was picked up by uh, Brian Moore, who was a director at Gillingham. Now, that's Brian Moore, the doyen of TV commentators, uh, who I was very fortunate enough to get to know quite well and to work with on certain league sponsorships. So, um, yeah, smashing guy, but he had a he had an association with Gillingham, didn't he, Keith? He did. Yeah, he's the director, one of the directors, um, and uh, had an association for many years with Little Gillingham. It, it, it suited his very quiet uh, way he went about his life. Yes, um, he is a wonderful man to know, and he just gave me a couple of tips about the the doctor and. Before I went in to speak to him at, at uh, the doctor's home in Chatham, and um, yes, I was just in there. We had a cup of tea and uh, talked, and he just said, "You've got the job. Um, it's yours if you want it." He'd been turned down by John Hollins, Alan Dix, who was quite a big name back then. Yes, he'd been very successful, um, and that was it. I accepted a three-year contract. Um, and now I had to fly back very quickly to uh, Tampa. And um, the chairman must have been impressed by your, you scoring a diving header against him <laughs> to Charlton. He must he must have completely had that in his mind, Keith. Uh, well, I was always impressed with myself when I scored headers. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I wasn't too bad. I, I scored about ten. 10, 11 headers in my career. Well, I was at that game when you scored with that diving header. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was on the TV and it was the last minute. Um, and uh, I had to run the whole length of the pitch almost 
to get there. They had a corner, and um, Paddy Powell hit the bar. I followed in, headed in. We won one nil. I remember. Uh, I remember we must have remembered that. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Um, okay, so uh, so your American adventure is now over, and you're now ensconced as the new manager of Gillingham, and Priestfield is now your new home. And uh, but the club were already in the throes of signing one of your old playing colleagues from Charlton, weren't they? Dick Tymon. Yes. Yep. Dick Tymon, he, he said, uh, the chairman said, look, I've agreed this. Uh, however, if you are against it, please say now and I, I will uh, have to go and tell him no. But, but that was fine because I knew Dick was a good player. Uh, I was only too pleased to have someone I knew because I've been away for two years. You can soon lose track of uh, people. So, um uh, it was good that he was going to be in the dressing room on the day that um, I kind of made my managerial debut, walking in there. Um, but I did, but funnily enough, there were a few Charlton people or ex-Charlton people that uh, were to have a, a great influence um, on the Gillingham side. Yes. Um, Colin Powell was one. I got Colin Powell because I looked in the that early pre-season and could see that I had some great headers of the ball. And so Dick Tyburn came for 40,000, and uh, Paddy Powell came as well. The fees remained at 40,000. Right. For the two of them. So, you, <laughs> yeah, you got you, you got the two of them for 40,000. <laughs> yeah, but Paddy always says oh, it was more or less 2020, but it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. But another one I signed was Richie Bowman, who had started at Charlton, but made his name at Reading. Yes. And, and he was uh, uh, like, he was like Scotty Parker. I was going to say, for, for younger um, um, Charlton fans who, who didn't see Richie play, he was an all-action midfielder in, in the mould of a Scott Parker or a, or a Mark Kinsella in some ways as well. So um, he was that all-action player, uh, wholehearted player, skillful player as well. Yes, and... Uh, a lovely, lovely man. He could spring up. He was only about five five at the very most. Uh, powerfully built, very strong. He could spring up, um, and unfortunately, um, he got injured. And we, we were doing so well. We were third top in the league, second top, and um, we had a cup match. And um, he he landed. He jumped so high, it must have been level with the bar. And he landed 
against the non-league side, we were playing, twisted his knee, and he never played again. So he was a tr- yeah, no, it, 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 extremely, extremely good player and uh, a lovely guy. As you, I got to know him quite well when we in later years when we played in Charlton Veterans tours. But um, so okay, so you, what I want to talk about, you had a good career at uh, Gillingham, you had a successful career at Gillingham, but there are some names that came to the fore, um, and one who let's talk about a young player who. You were advised you had a bit of a star in the making on your books, uh, and that was a young centre-half who uh, you, you knew instantly as soon as you saw him that he had something. Yes, uh, when I arrived, the the staff had gone before. Joey Summers, obviously, the manager had gone and his assistant. Um, and the youth team coach that was there said, oh, we've got this young centre-half, he's at 19 He's absolutely brilliant. He's good at this. He's great in the air. Oh, he's a true player, great tackle. And I, I'm listening to him. I'm thinking, no one can be playing in this division and be this good. Mm. Then I found out that actually he lodged with the uh, youth team coach, the, uh, Bill Collins, his name was, who was recommending him. <laughs> and he actually lived with him. His treat, and he treated like he was his own son. Anyway, I walked in on the first day. They're all in the dressing room, and I'm looking around for this this man that's going to be gigantic. He's got to be about. I'm thinking he's going to be like Terry Butcher. Yeah, and I've got him, and um, I'm looking around, and I see that it must be this fella. They're all sat down in the dressing room, and this fella's sort of splay footed. He's got a bit of a belly on him. A bit looks a bit overweight. <laughs> he's probably about. I mean, six foot may have been adding on a bit because he looked about 5'11". And I'm I'm watching him. And in the early running days we had, and I'm thinking, no, this this fella can't be that good. Um, And, of course, then we did the running. Well, he wasn't the best at the running. (laughs) And I was very fit then. I was 36 and I I could run as as well distance-wise as any of the players at the club. We got through the first pre-season. Then we had our first game. And then I saw, as soon as he was in action, he was incredible. He, he took the first game that was a pre-season friendly at Sittingbourne and was winning headers, making tackles, was a true leader, um, one of the best, and he became one of the best uh, centre-halves in the country. I thought was so unlucky not to get a full cap. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Steve Steve Bruce was 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 a mainstay of um, Alex Ferguson's successful championship years year after year, wasn't he? But he never got an international cap. But started at Gillingham. But he was a he was a boy from your original hometown as well, wasn't he? He was from uh, the northeast. He was from the northeast. Newcastle man, real uh, Geordie through and through. Um, when the time came, I signed him as quickly as I could. As soon as I saw him, I thought, I must sign him on a long contract here. Signed him for uh, another two and a half years, I think it was, maybe three. Um, and uh, so he was our, our player for that time. And uh, he, all he could talk about away from Gillingham would be Newcastle. Newcastle was his team. Yeah. And when he did run out, let his contract run out, which he had to, um, because he could only stay with us for so long. He he came in and said, oh, he'd give everything. And he gave everything to the club, right to the last kick of the last game. 
And then he came into the dressing room and he said, oh, I'd heard Newcastle wanted me. Is that true? I said, look, we've never heard, I haven't heard about mm. Newcastle coming in. West Ham should have had him, but they didn't. He went to Norwich and then, of course, Man United, which was history. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so it's, a, it's an interesting period of your career, this, because uh, um, your spotting of a player uh, came to the fore here, but also the way you used players who perhaps had lost their way uh, to bring success to Gillingham. But let's talk about the spotting of a young player. Uh, who you were possibly sceptical about at the first, because you were told about a young player at Crockham Hill who was playing, I mean, leagues and leagues and leagues below professional standard. Yes, yes. he was playing in the Kent League. My my brother-in-law was a sponge man there, and he phoned me up a few times saying, oh, you must have a look at the fair, it's worth a try. And I'm thinking, I'm trying to get into the what is now the championship, and you're... you're Someone from Kent League, he's not even playing in the National League type of position. Anyway, I got him down for a trial. And this day. is, of course, Tony Cascarino, of course. It is, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned his name there. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tony Cascarino was the name. I got him down for a trial. We were having to play at Who, which is on the Isle of Sheppey somewhere, and because of uh, we didn't have a regular training ground. And... Um, Got him in the, to play with Paddy Powell. I had Paddy Powell on his side. Mixed up the two teams and, and put him against Steve Bruce. Ron Hilliard, a great goalkeeper of the time, uh, was there. After about 10 minutes, the ball was centred by Paddy. In came Cascarino. Rose above everyone. Smashed Brucey Hilliard <laughs> to the ground. And the ball went in the back of the net. I made up my mind in that second uh, that he, I wanted to sign him, got him back after the training session. By the way, he turned up his shorts and flip-flops, <laughs> which I'd already thought, there's no one going to sign him. Anyway, we went back to the ground, unlocked the doors and said, right, I want to sign you. £90 a week I'm offering you. <laughs> which he said, well, I'm, I'm getting that as a hairdresser. <laughs> I said, yes, but... But you've got the privilege of playing for Gillingham <laughs> with all these great players, and, and I will be a good manager for you. Um, and he he picked up the pen, and then he stopped. He said, "Oh, I must tell you this, boss. Um, I've got a court case coming up in about three months' time." I said, oh, "Okay, right." I, I was thinking that was a driving offence, and I said, oh, oh, "What was it for?" He said, uh, "GBH." <laughs> well, who did you hit? A copper. I thought well, this conversation's getting worse. Yeah, welcome to management, Keith. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I thought he's told me this before putting pen to paper. Now I like to think I'm reasonably honest myself, but I think I would have signed first and then come out with the story the next day. Anyway, uh, it, it, it did, that was him. He was totally honest. Uh, I did defend him. I went to the court and defended him, saying that how he was a changed character. And it, and it worked so brilliantly for you. Became one of the best players to play for. Absolutely, went on to have a, uh, an international career, of course. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I'm conscious of the Sorry. of the thing moving forward now, and um, and you brought in some players who'd lost their way, uh, but they helped really move Gillingham. And in your record at Gillingham was. 
quite outstanding, really. You know, with with not many resources and turning players who had checkered careers with difficult characters, you turn you turn the club round. Like, I mean, you brought you brought in players like Terry Cochran and Dave Shearer who who, who had their challenges. Yeah, but were great players. And they were they were two players came from Middlesbrough. Um, Cassidy, uh, sorry, Cochran was uh, had upset Malcolm Allison because he, he Cochran tended to be a, a temperamental player and he would have a moan out on the field, that sort of thing. But I had a chance to sign him, uh, gave him one little friendly match for half a game. Knew I had to sign him, signed him straight away. Um, he became one of the the best. Well, the best free transfer probably ever. Um, although Cascarino, whereas I paid 11 tracksuits for Cascarino. <laughs> big money for us at Gillingham there. Um, and uh, Cochran became loved by the crowd. He was really was um, a poor man's Georgie Best. A slightly poor man's. He, he, could, the be, he was better crosser, two-footed crosser than Paddy Powell. Paddy was now finished. You know, he's coming to the end of his career. Yeah, Cotton well, that, could play either wing and score goals. That's quite an accolade, really, to give someone. Um, but uh, no, he went on to uh, uh, do really well for you, as did Shearer. And Shearer was a difficult character. Uh, I mean, you had your challenges with him, but he repaid you with goals as well, Keith, didn't he? He did. He was about over a stone, overweight when he came down. He had no money, he had no nothing with him. He just came down um, for a trial period. So I gave him some money, but he needed it up front, a month's money, um, to get him by. Uh, he did like to have a, a, a beer or two, like many a Scotsman. Um, <laughs> is that, sorry, that's being racist. Uh, so, um, no, and um, it, it, but he had a lust for the game, like Cochrane, in a different way. He was powerful, good right foot. I wanted to sign him after seeing him play on the first day. I wanted to sign him, but I gave him a month or so to see if any traits, whether he could get his weight down. He was getting better and better. We went to Leeds uh, in a cup match. He scored two goals. We lost three two. He scored two goals. Must you know, I wanted to sign him on a longer contract, um, but soon after that, the game, I got a phone call at four o'clock in the morning. And it was to say that um, there's a from the Derby police establishment saying that um, they had Dave Shearer there, and we had, had a he rolled over his car and he gave me your name. <laughs> so, uh, and I know done? I know the uh, the board were against you signing Shearer mm. after that, weren't they? They very much were because um, he, he had done something you know which was wrong, um, and. We had a very, uh, how can I say, um, a board that was Lord Henry Soames. Soames was uh, mm-hmm. on the board. The doctor was a very, very upper upper class uh, people. You'd mm-hmm. only call them in those yes. days, you know, yes. um, like many old boards rooms would be. Um, and uh, they were all against it. But I, I did have a, con- I had a conversation with Laurie McMemony, who I, I had gone now and again for advice and. I said, look, I really must sign uh, sign this player, uh, but he's gone through all this. And he, conf- not convinced me, but he agreed with my thoughts of signing him. 
he said he will all, he will repay you because he'll always be indebted. And I went against the um, ball, took the chance. We had him, and he became our top goal scorer for a few years. He was absolutely a real hero, and it worked out well. Yeah, I mean, you know, brilliant bit of advice from a from a great football great in Laurie McManamy, and a, a great experience for you as well to to uh, to have that early in your managerial career. Difficult players, but getting advice like that, and they went on and repaid you. Um, and of course, you, you you had a lot of Charlton players come and join you. Um, uh, players like Richie, obviously we've mentioned, and Dick Tideman and Colin Powell earlier. But uh, Dave Memmott, Peter Shaw, Martin Robinson, Les Berry, and of course Derek Howes came to join you at, Ch- at uh, Gillingham as well, didn't he? Yes, and, and they all did well. And it was for the, over a period of years, they, they came at different intervals. Of course, as they were uh, Charlton were in the division above. Um, and uh, yeah, so it became a, a sort of slight move down for them, but they still had enough in them to give a, a really good account of themselves. It was uh, great having them uh, with me. So, but what, why just finishing off? Why I went for the Cascarinos and uh, not Cascarinos, the Cochrans and Shearer, these unusual characters. I would always, as a manager, when I was a young manager, I vowed I would only have full good Billy Bond type players, you know, the Kinsella type player, Scotty but these are what I want to base my team around. Right. But, but after two years I really I looked at the team that I had and they were a decent side, but probably halfway was gonna be the best we could get. And I knew halfway with an injury or two you can be in relegation trouble. So I had to take a gamble with players who had perhaps unusual, you know, they weren't perfect, maybe off the field or whatever. And then it worked. We had such an exciting time right the way until 1987. Well, let's go. Let's go to that period now, Keith, um, um, to sort of um, wrap up the Gillingham era. But uh, in the 86-87 play uh, season, uh, you got into the playoffs as did Charlton Athletic, of course, at the same time, um, in their in their league. Um, so, and you had uh, games against Leeds and then Sunderland, didn't you, in the playoffs? Um, against Sunderland and then Swindon. Leeds played uh, Charlton. Oh, I'm sorry, Charlton yeah, played no. Leeds. You had games against Sunderland and then the Swindon, yes. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, Sunderland would be third from bottom in the division above, and that's what they did in those days. So they played against us, who were fifth we came fifth that year and uh the crowds were loving it was getting to the playoffs it's the first time the first year of the playoffs that's um, right yes so uh and we had sun the mighty Sunderland. i mean i don't think they'd ever been down into this you know the division we were in um and we beat them three two but they got two away goals it was nineteen thousand packed house so we won. We lost. Uh, we won three two. Cascarino got a hat trick. Now we go to Sunderland, and it was an incredible game. The only game that I can think that beat it was the '98 playoff final at Wembley, from right. my perspective. Um, so we're at Sunderland, a thousand or so um, Gillingham supporters there. I don't know how many, um, and also we got a thousand Newcastle supporters who came just to, to see and hope that Sunderland would go down. 
so they were on our side as well. Um, and of course, my family, my mum, uh, my dad came up there, and that you know, it was just perfect. And of course, Sunderland again, the first team I played against on my debut. Well, I was going to say Sunderland crop up quite a lot in your story, don't they? Um, Incredible first cool. game. Now, yep. now the playoff against them uh, at Gillingham, and then of course uh, later on the '98. And, and again, last, again last year. Yeah, exactly. They, they keep popping up, and uh, so I have a very soft spot for them. Uh, although the only one time we've lost was on that my, my debut. Yeah. This game ended up four four. Uh, sorry, three. We were lost four three. Yeah. So, so, was, so with away goals, it was six all. It was that six all. I had, my math was having to go go into overtime there. Yeah. To work it out. But yeah, it was a six six draw. But we we got there on away goals counting double. Yeah, they scored two at our place. We never thought we'd get you know three goals up there. So anyway, we we did Cascarino great force again. Um, so now we play Swindon, and it and was before going to Wembley. That you you know you yes yes. So the Swindon game, um, we lose 2-1. Now, Lou Macari's in charge of Swindon at this time, isn't he? Indeed he is, yes. We were 11 minutes uh, from actually getting into the second division, as it was known then, championship, and they scored. So we had to go to neutral ground for a third game, and that was at Selhurst Park. And um, that was the same day Charlton were... Uh, making the great escape against Leeds, which you'll know a lot about. And that was up at St Andrews going on at the same time, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah, St Andrews. Yeah. Yeah. Um, against Leeds. Against yeah. Leeds, yeah. 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 Um, Again, the replay, a neutral. A neutral. Yeah. yeah. Afterwards, that was one of the first things someone said to me was about that game. Um, but... Um, Yes, and unfortunately, it was one of those games. We lost two nil. It didn't. We had full house there at Crystal Palace. Um, huge crowd, Gillingham following, and um, probably the saddest day of my management career when we lost that game. Um, yes, but your exploits at uh, and your achievements at Gillingham haven't gone unnoticed in in football because uh, Ipswich Town came in for you, didn't they? They did the very next season after the playoffs. Uh, du- during the sorry, before the next season, during the summer, uh, a call came through to the chairman, who let me know Ipswich wanted me, um, and he understood well. He said, "You've got to take that, but they're a big club, etc., etc." Um, so I went along, and there were six people interviewed. They were all kind of quite big names, actually. Lou Macari, obviously Steve Coppel was one, John Duncan, who was formerly Spurs. Um, I don't know if Hollins was in that as well. Um, but, yeah, a, a number of number of big names. Um, I I got a phone call after the interview, and I, I felt really confident I'd got it, actually. Mm. And he, the secretary said, we want you to come back for another interview um, be, with John Duncan. You're the two... We're choosing between. Right. And that was uh, David Rose, who I know quite well. Who I knew yes. quite well at that time. He was the secretary. 
And yeah. of course, the chairman was David Sheepshanks, who went on to be the chairman of the Football League in my time as well. So, absolutely, absolutely. And David Sheepshanks was in America when the first interview took place, so he needed to be at the the other one. Then what happened was um, I didn't get the job. They took John Duncan, and I, I carried on at Gillingham, um, which was uh, my last half a season at Gillingham because. Uh, it was quite uh, amazing. After seven games, we were about eighth in the league. We've got Chesterfield at home. We played Southend the uh, week before the Chesterfield game, and we won 8-1. We had another home match following, and we were playing Chesterfield at home. They had not conceded a goal. A marvellous defence they had. They were second to top in the league. Um, and we... I had to, I gave the most unusual team, team talk. I walked in the dressing room uh, before the game. I'm thinking, I can't say I was same as before in the last home game. I just put all their names on the board and I put gave them odds against scoring. And for the goalkeeper, keeping the clean sheet. It went from six to one for the strikers, Shearer, Lovell were playing, um, down to Greenall. Went out there and that's all I said. Give your money, you can have five pound bet only on yourself. Went out on the field, sat down on the bench, and we went one nil up, two nil up, three nil up. <laughs> There's a few smiles on the. Ex- I'm not sure what this is. Set. I'm not sure what this is telling us about footballers, to be honest. But okay, and I'd see what they respond to. Yeah, four exactly. nil, five nil. We're up at half time. I go into the dressing room. People are thinking, "What wonderful tactics!" I had everything in control. In terms of set plays and all that, but my team talk was most unusual. And at half time, I said nothing other than, "You'll never get another five this half. That's for sure." It'll, you know, but make sure they don't score. We've gone out six, seven, eight, nine, <laughs> ten, nil, and there's still time to go. I've never looked at an opposition manager and feel sorry for him until that day. I couldn't believe it. It was. We, 10-0. And the last one who scored was 25-1 to outside a centre-half Greenall. I bet Ipswich couldn't have believed it either. No, it was um, one of the supporters who lived, a uh, former Gillingham man that lived in Australia, gave us all these gold little uh, medals that you could hang, you know, round your neck like a St. Christopher type. So Ipswich had, uh, had given the job to John Duncan and you go and win 10-0. Yeah, 10-0, 8-1 in now, two home games. Now, the, the, the back story to that is, at this time, you were ringing round your friends in football to try and find you a target man to replace Cascarino. Yes. Um, all those you friends, to all Lenny those was one of those, yeah. wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, all those friends and acquaintances um, and fellow managers like Lenny Lawrence, who I rang up, um, asking and pleading for a strong striker to play up front because I'm not right. And I scored, we scored 18 goals in two <laughs> games. Lenny phoned me back after that game, um, the 10-0. He said, are you having a laugh? <laughs> he said, you've scored, scored 18 goals in two games <laughs> and you're phoning me up for a striker. We haven't scored 18 goals in 18 games. <laughs> and, uh, but he did give me some advice. He said... Uh, you tell you what, Cock, and if you're right in terms of you need someone and you're not quite right with the players, 
um, you won't be able to score the goals. Um, and you'll find you get a lot of nil-nils and nil-ones. And strangely enough, it seemed that we used up all the goals. We won in the cup, kept losing and drawing in the league. We were halfway. Um, and then we went uh, uh, played at Old Shop and uh, we lost 6-1. And you knew, yeah, you knew your time was coming to an end there. Uh, I, I knew, I knew then because although really it was the first this cricket cup, we were only halfway in the league. I think with a game in hand, um, uh, nothing too serious in touch with the playoffs. But yeah, they thought, oh, after last year, they expected probably us to come top, especially winning ten nil and eight one. Thought, oh, this is going to be easy. Um, and but, yeah, I was uh, the board the board made the decision to uh, to make a change, and uh, and you found yourself um, out Gillingham. But the the crowd weren't very happy with that. No, but why why I went back? I haven't mentioned that I, I signed um, my son, paid forty thousand for him. Um, my wife Leslie thought that's far too much to pay for your own son. <laughs> um, it, it, I said to the club, if you, you want to build for the future, then he will more than double that money. In actual fact, 18 months later, he was sold for 260000 yes. uh, which is the biggest fee Gingham had ever had at that stage. Um, and uh, so he was on the books. I'd signed him, and four weeks after actually signing him, um, I was sacked. Um, so... I went along uh, to the Gillingham home game and uh, to, to watch him play, as you would do watching your son play. Yeah. And after the game, I went off with Leslie and Lauren uh, to get get to the car quickly before the final whistle blew. Um, as I was going there, someone saw me and a group of people, a huge group of people, grabbed me lifted me on the shoulders, took me back to the um, outside the uh, director's room and was chanting for me to be reinstated. But uh, it was No, I mean, that must have been a nice moment for you to, to know that you were so appreciated by the fans. But also it must have been quite embarrassing, Keith, as well, must It's always nice to be appreciated by the fans. And we'd had good years and I think they appreciated it. Um, and but I was scared. I was really scared that being lifted up there, I could, you know, and it wasn't. I seemed to be being pulled all over. That that made it scary. But um, yeah, as you say, it was uh, it was very unusual sort of thing to happen. But uh, yeah. But you now, so uh, now you are after a couple of months um, out of the game, and uh, you out out out. Out of work, I suppose. Um, you then um, got hooked up at Queens Park Rangers, uh, where you'd taken Gavin from. Yes. from. Um, and one of the great managerial names was manager of QPR then, I know, Jim Smith, who sadly died recently. But he got you there as uh, reserve team manager, didn't he? Yes, he asked me if I'd like to come along between manager jobs um, and become the uh, reserve team manager. This was about in the March. Uh, I'd been out of the action for two months. Uh, so I said, yes, you either either hang on until a manager's job comes along 
or you say, right, let's keep busy and keep in touch with everything. I went across there. I was now making the horrendous journey to QPR that Gavin made, and he had the lovely little drop down to Gillingham, uh, <laughs> 25 minutes uh, away from home. Um, he was really loving it there. And, uh, yeah, but I had a good time at uh, QPR. Um, Jim went after a while, eventually, and uh, I was able to work with a lot of outstanding players like Steeman in goal, um, Mark Dennis Falco was a good player, Fennick, you know, yeah, good play. Some good yeah, play. Um, and then management, uh, a more permanent job appeared, and uh, you found yourself uh, at Maidstone, Maidstone United, who, who were having their troubles. They were um, having to ground share at uh, Dartford, of course, and um, uh, and they had a charismatic chairman, a guy called Jim Thompson in charge at that time. Yes, uh, at the end of the second season, I was with uh, I was with QPR uh, for about fourteen months. Yeah, at the end of that uh, second period. Uh, I was at the uh, not the PFA, the Football Writers, you know, and Jim came. Jim Thompson introduced himself to me and said, "Look, would you be interested in um, being manager, Mason?" Because Mason had been promoted under John Still um, that season. So I said, "Well, John, John Still's the manager," and he said that he. Felt that uh, John didn't want to stay and become full time, which may not have been true when I look back. But that's what I was told. I did take the job. Um, Kent, obviously, was only a short distance away. Again, I was going in the right direction, away from the traffic. Yeah, uh, and uh, had a great first season. Became fifth top. It seemed to be a thing that. I seem to manage to do in my career as manager, fifth about four times, I think. Um, so we were in the playoffs, and uh, we just didn't quite make it into the final. We were 11 minutes away from uh, drawing 0-0, and that would have been enough to get through on away goals as we drew 1-1 at Cambridge. Um, but some exciting but you, times and some good... But you left the legacy um, for Maidstone in, in, in that you unearthed another gem, didn't you? We'd heard about Steve Bruce and and, uh, and Cascarino, Tony Cascarino at Gillingham, but then you unearthed Warren Barton at, uh, at uh, Maidstone, didn't you? Yes, um, and in all fairness, uh, I went on, mainly on a big uh, push, not push, but a suggestion from John Steele. He said he's got a fair there. Warren Barton is good enough to get into the league. Uh, he'd been given a free transfer from Lake Norian. Uh, I took his advice on that and um, signed him for £8,000 plus another player, a fellow called Ashford, going the other way. And, and Warren was superb in that first season. He was naive a bit to begin with, but a great engine, wholehearted, uh, energy to bear, and a lovely lad. And uh, after a year... Uh, one year when we, we didn't quite make promotion, uh, they uh, the team came to Wimbledon came in for him, offered a hundred thousand. Jim wanted to take it. I said, "Well, if he's going, leave it with me. I'll get more than a hundred. We got three hundred thousand, which was like the, the 
Mason had never had ten, more than five, ten thousand on her feet before. And um, no, it's an amazing amount of money. That was, a, that was an amazing amount of money. Yeah. Yeah, she went to Wimbledon, then on to Newcastle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right, then the Maystone came to an end. Mason were having a lot of troubles, Keith, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. That, that, what, what happened, we, we'd gone to, we'd gone to um, Dartford and played all our home games there, of course. Yeah, which, uh, which is fine. The pitch was good on, on a bit of a slope. Um, basic. Now this is the Watling Street, Dartford, not where yeah. they are now. Yeah. No, that's right. Um, but uh, yeah, we were we were doing all right. We had a few injuries. Like Dave, Dave Madden, who was a former Cheltenham player, not while I was there, but um, yes, and one or two others who who were injured and we were and we had a couple of games in hand and we were lower down but I always knew um, that Jim probably if he had a first choice for a manager was Graham Carr because he had him back in the non-league days uh, before he went on to Northampton and um, so it was it was a bit of a shock because we were just uh, halfway in the league and in touch with everything um, and Jim I heard that Jim was going to get him in from a, a separate source. So I just confronted Jim. I, uh, Tommy Taylor was my assistant. He said, no, there can't be true. Just go in and ask him. And, on the, and I'm usually quite calm, but I was, a, I was a bit annoyed by that. I went in. I said, oh, Jim, just want to sort this out because I've heard this from a very good source that you're going to get, you want, you want to get Graham Carr in. And he he stuttered, and I went, oh well, that speaks for itself, right? Yeah, and I did. I said a few things probably I shouldn't, like I I, I shouldn't have said, you know, um, on the spur of the moment. But I always treated men, who whatever the station, as a man. You know, yes, yeah. yeah. um, and just be straight up with me. Um, so I walked out of the room, and I knew. That um, that that would be the end. I got the call the next when I came the next day. He called me in, and the cheque was there. Uh, I negotiated uh, for a few minutes, and um, the cheque was rewritten, and that was done. Oh, and that's that the that's the Graham Carr, whose son is Alan Carr, the comedian. Absolutely, yeah, 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 amazing. Um, and well, that uh, finishes off uh, the the. 80s, your 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 decade away from Cholton, but then Cholton was about to appear on the horizon again, as we go into the 90s, and I think that's a good place to leave it for now. <laughs>